Amen. So this morning, we're going to carry on. We started last week with the series. We had that um, slide up, and we asked people what they thought about the cross. And, and we introduced this idea that what the cross actually is all about is more than what we often think. And hence, we introduced a series called More Than Meets the Eye. And so when we look at the cross, for instance, we often have various ideas. What are some of the thoughts that come to your mind when you look at the cross? Anyone? You can shout it out. Sacrifice. Salvation. Freedom. Pain. Pain. Very true. Hope. Resurrection. Death. It's good. Life. And so we need to understand that what that resembles is, is more than just somebody that, that was up there. It resembles and it rep represents some of these things that you've spoken about. And so our journey over the next couple of weeks, we started last week, and um, we're going to carry on for the month of April to talk about this concept that there's more than meets the eye. There's more than what is apparent. There's more about the cross than we often can think about. And, and, and I want to use this time and, and, and trust that God will actually, through this time, not again, as we said last week, increase our intellectual understanding of the cross, but increase our worship of the one that was on the cross. You understand? And so I want to warn you, please take special note of the fact that this is an opportunity actually to increase your love for God. It's a good warning, I guess. And hence, why we encourage you to make notes. Um, if you have a device that you can write things on or pin them down, please do so. If you have a Bible, please bring it. Please read with us. If you have pen and paper, please write down because it helps you to stay focused on, hey, there's something more than meets the eye that we've got to talk about. And so this morning, we're going to talk about there was no other way. There was just no other way. And we're going to dive into some of the things that Jesus experienced and, and why the cross was so incredibly necessary and why it is that we can say this morning, there was no other way that what needed to be done could be done and it needed to go through what he experienced on the cross. So I want to ask you to go with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at just an experience there that Jesus had in this garden called Gethsemane. By the way, the name Gethsemane actually means oil press. So there's a, there's a process that it talks about that something was squeezed to bring forth something else. It's amazing that Gethsemane actually did that. You'll read this with me. And get, in um, Matthew 26 and verse 36, we read the following. I want to ask you to do something with me. I want, you to, I want to ask you to stand as we read the word. And uh, not because of any religious reason, but just we honor the word. We value the word. I want to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to read it. You don't have to read with me because your Bible may be different. We have different versions in the Bible. And so I'll read it from what I have, the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says in verse 36, And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Say with me, Gethsemane. All right. And he said to his disciples, Sit here. While I go over there and pray. And talking or taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be 
sorrowful and troubled. Say with me, sorrowful and troubled. Okay. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Praise the Lord for his word. You may take your seats. We, um, we read this story in Matthew. We see in Mark very much the same um, story happening as Mark relates what happened and what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. We, we read in Luke chapter 22, and, and it will be on the board, but you don't have to turn there. If you wanted, you are so welcome, obviously. We find here that, that the same story is related to us, this time by, by the man called Luke. And if you knew this, Luke was a doctor. And so you may find some interesting um, additions, um, not contradicting what we've just read, but just a man who's a doctor who thinks differently. And we find that, that Luke relates to us this very story also from Gethsemane, and he adds the following in Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. We read there as follows, and I'm not going to read through everything, but just verse 43 and verse 44 I want to repeat. It says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven. So in this moment, great sorrow, it says, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Listen to this. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's amazing, eh? So incredible that as we think about this story, Jesus is about to be crucified. So he has an idea of what's going to come. And he's in incredible agony and very much in sorrow. But when we relate to other stories similar to this, a, a story of martyrs, people that were killed for their faith after the time that Jesus had been around, you'll find many instances where, where martyrs, were actually very incredibly bold and courageous before they were about to be killed. Various examples of that are found in, throughout history since the time of Jesus. There's one particular man, his name was Polycarp. Poly, P-O-L-L-Y-C-A-R-P, Polycarp. He was, a, he was a bishop in the early church after the time of when Jesus was around. So he lived about A.D. 50 to A.D. 100 and and 18, somewhere there. And, and he 
he was a Christian, came to faith, said he had strong links with John, the apostle of Jesus, seemed to have been a disciple of him. And at the time when the Roman Empire was in, was in full fledged, he, he refused to, to give honor to the emperors that they, as they had expected him to do. He refused to burn incense to the Roman Emperor. And so he was, he was threatened to be killed, and he said, that's fine, I, I don't mind, you can kill me for my faith. And, and it says the following that is recorded as saying, on the day of his death, when he's about to be burned for his faith, he says, how then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? You threaten me, talking to the Roman emperor, with a fire that burns for a season. And after a little while, is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of eternal punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Amazing. And he subsequently got burned and died that day. Why is it that, that you find these examples of men and women, there are many of them, that died for their faith, but they were incredibly bold. And I can tell you story after story of, of how this had taken place in many people's lives. But yet we have the King of Kings, God himself. And he's about to be killed. And he doesn't say, bring it on. He doesn't say that. He doesn't go out there and say, I'm fine. You guys can, you can, you can supposedly kill me on a cross, but hey, I'm going to rise again. Uh, it's going to be three days, by the way. <laughs> so what's the big deal, boys? Bring it on. Huh. Dr. Luke here describes that Jesus' anguish led to him suffering from a medical condition called hematidrosis, where it's the sweating that actually results in blood, not from a cut on your body, but you're just so much in anguish, you can go read about this, hematidrosis, that it leads to blood pouring out from your skin. And they say the only way that this is possible is there's an extreme distress or fear upon you, such as facing death, torture, or severe ongoing abuse. Jesus experienced this. Luke, typically of a doctor, noticed that and comments on it. So keep this thought in mind, that this is what Jesus went through. Let's talk about crucifixion. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians around 500 BC before Christ and, and perfected by the Romans in the days of Jesus and, and not outlawed until the time of Emperor Constantine who ruled Roman, Rome in about 400 AD. In the days of Jesus, it is said that crucifixion was reserved for the most horrendous criminals. It wasn't an, a common thing to do. It was for those that are extreme in what they had done. They say the pain of crucifixion is so unbearable that a word was even invented to explain it. The word is excruciating. 
Ever heard of the word excruciating? It literally means it from the cross. We understand this word to mean agonizing, extremely painful. It's a Latin word that eventually had become a word that we use today. Eventually, initially it was used from, from the cross, this has come. So the cross, what, what the crucified person went through, became what we use today as excruciating pain. They say that even the worst Romans were, were beheaded rather than crucified because of the incredible pain associated with crucifixion. I want to read to you something from a book that just tries to explain this a little bit more. And those of you that have seen movies like The Passion of Christ will understand a little bit, a little bit, about what a crucified person would go through. They say to ensure maximum suffering, scourging preceded crucifixion. We know that Christ went through that, hey? Scourging itself was, was such a painful event that many people died from it without even making it to their cross. Jesus' hands would have been chained above his head to expose his back and legs to an ex executioner's whip called a cat nine tails. And it goes into what that scourging or that whipping would have meant. And if I read even to the, from here, it'll be It'll be difficult for you to even absorb this. It says, the prophet Isaiah, by the way, we'll read it a little bit later. Hundreds of years prior, the prophet Isaiah predicted the results of Jesus' scourging. He said, many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Because of the scourging. Not the crucifixion yet. Just the scourging. I refrain from leaving to you some of what that had been. Jesus then had a crown of lengthy thorns pressed into his head as onlookers mocked him as the king of Jews. With that, blood began to flow down Jesus' face, causing his hair and beard to be a bloodied and matted, matted mess, and his eyes to burn as he strained to see through his own sweat and blood. Jesus was then forced to carry his roughly hewn wooden crossbar or perhaps 100 pounds on his bare, traumatized, bloodied back and shoulders to the place of his own crucifixion. Later on it says, yeah, Jesus the carpenter, who had driven many nails into wood with his own hands, then had five to seven inch rough metal spikes driven into the most sensitive nerve centers on the human body in his hands and feet. Jesus was nailed to his wooden cross. At this point, Jesus was in unbearable agony. This is crucifixion. Just in general terms. This is what awaited Jesus. This is what he knew was coming. God himself. The reason why he had to go through all of this. You've got to just stop and consider that again. Because this is going to be linked to him being sorrowful, even to the point of death. Even though this sounds horrendous, 
and sounds impossible for anybody to bear and to imagine and to know Jesus knew exactly what was coming, but this was not the reason why he was sweating blood. What was the reason? Let's take you to Isaiah. Isaiah 53 and 52, just before this, talks about this. And by the way, Isaiah 53 is an incredible prophecy about what Christ went through for you and me. It says in Isaiah 52 verse 14, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, as we just read from the book, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told from them, them they see, and that which they have not, heard, have not heard they understand. Just its prophecy about what Christ would accomplish. Then in verse 1 of chapter 453, it says the following, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, prophetically talking about Christ, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You look at the cross. There's more that meets the eye. We see a man who suffered incredibly. We will not actually be able to describe that suffering in words. None of us were there. Even the best depictions of that fall far short of what he went through for you and me. But that is not what made him sweat with blood. We're going to tap into this word here. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is where we start tapping into. There was no other way. There was no other way. Jesus had to die. It is here prophesied that Jesus would carry on him the weight of sin and not just the burden of the physical brutality of the cross. He would carry on him the burden of sin. And there's another word that we so often read and quote and, and are reminded of. But I think the impact of it we often lose. And it's from John 3.16. And we can easily just refer to it from memory. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the key word is perish. There's iniquity that was laid on Him. Because there are others that are supposed to perish. Perish. 
the word perish made the cross absolutely, eternally necessary. No other effective strategy is possible. So when we start saying, I can get saved out of my own effort, what I'm saying is what Christ went through for me, the blood that he sweat on the cross, it wasn't actually necessary. Because I can do it on my own. I just got to come to church more often. And that will be fine before God. I just got to do my good deeds. I just got to buy my, myself into the kingdom of God, my way, and that will be possible for me. There's no other way. The cross had to happen. The Greek word for perish is apolumi, which really means to put out of the way entirely. To render useless, to be destroyed. That is our destiny. The moment we become part of human creation, your date of birth. Romans 3.23 says, the day that you're born, we're all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We all carry this iniquity on us, on our shoulders, on our backs. We actually, we rendered useless. It's weird. Eh? Because of our sinful nature, we are useless. We think we can accomplish much. And we, you go through all these world historical figures and you think, wow, they did so much. But without Christ, we are useless. It's big. There was no other way that usefulness can come to humanity if the cross did not happen. So it wasn't just, oh, he brought a lot of pain for me and you. No. He took on himself the need to take people out of their uselessness into usefulness. Because otherwise, we would have perished. And we are perishing because of the iniquity that we are born in. So our uselessness is directly connected to this word, S-I-N, sin. Sin. We don't talk about it too often. Because like, oh, let's not talk about sin. Because it's just so nice to talk about love and, and all the good things. But we've got to talk about sin. Because sin is a thing that keeps us from being useful to Him. That's why He came to die. Because of sin. And that's why the cross is so incredibly significant. You see, for the Father in heaven, sin is incredibly serious. That's why. Son came. So every sin we commit places us, the Bible says, it places us in enmity with God the Father. There's a separation between me and Him because of sin. So sin is serious stuff for God. The problem is, often sin is not so serious for us anymore. We become desensitized to sin. Oh, it's just, so actually, sin. has no big or little or major or minor classification. Sin is sin. There's no little sin because every sin we commit places us in enmity with the Father. John Piper. I'm going to read you just something from his book, The Passion of Jesus Christ. He says, Therefore sin is not small because it's not against a small sovereign. 
The seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. Do you understand that? So whoever you insult, if there's greater honor to that person, then the sin increases. The creator of the universe is infinitely worthy of respect and admiration and loyalty. Therefore, failure to love him is not trivial. It is treason. It defames God and destroys human happiness. Sin is not something small. Sin has this incredible potential and it does do that. It breaks what we're supposed to have with God. Sometimes we do not think that sin is this, that it's so big, because we just view it as, it's not going with God. It's just, God wants me to do this. I'm just not going to go with that now. I'm just going to go this way. But actually, that's not what sin really does. Sin is saying, I'm going against you, God. It's not just, I'm going the other way. I'm going against God. God says this. I say, no, I'll go there. So it's not, I'm not going that way. I'm just going, that's really what sin is, isn't it? It's not just always going with God. No, it's actually what it is. It's going against God. It's saying no to God. It's saying yes to myself and to what people suggest. Joseph, the man who was confronted in the Old Testament with this reality that he, he could have slept with Potiphar's wife, and he said, no, no, if I do this, I'm sinning against God. I'm not sinning against Potiphar, the husband of the wife. I'm going against God. David said the same in Psalm 51 verse 4 when he was confronted with what he did with Bathsheba. He said, I have sinned against God. So he understood the weight of sin. Jesus understood this too. Not because Jesus sinned. But when Jesus carried himself to the cross, in his heart was this understanding that he's doing this because people have willfully turned against God and said no to him. So what he really carried on his shoulders was that burden of what you and I have done. What people historically have done and still are doing. He's saying, no. He's saying, I resist you, God. I go my way. So Jesus carried that on him. So now if we go back to that moment in the garden that we started off with, Jesus was in anguish, not because of the pain of the cross that awaited him, but the pain of carrying sin on his shoulders. Jesus faced death in the deepest dimension that the martyrs after him knew they themselves would never have to. None of the martyrs carried the sin of the world upon their shoulders. They could with boldness say, I'm doing this for my king. And what an honor it is. And it was an honor for, the, for Jesus too, to obey the Father in this. But Jesus carried something more. He carried our sin. 
the weight of the world was upon him. We often say, you look like you're carrying the weight of the world on you. We have no idea, with all due respect to that saying, what it means to carry the weight of the world. We have no idea, ladies and gentlemen. Because that weight is the weight of sin and of eternal separation from the Father. And carrying our sin would mean that he is carrying this on his own. And that would lead to a complete abandonment. He would be left on his own. A feeling that came that no one had ever had before. And the father said, because of sin, you're on your own. You're on your own, Jesus. You're on your own. You're going to have to go through this. For millions and millions and millions of people. You're on your own. Because sin cannot come into my presence. What you're carrying with you on the cross at this very moment is the sin of the world. I cannot let that come. You've got to carry that. I'm going to leave you on your own, my son. We know that the Father is present, and He, and he was, and he, He's omnipresent, but, but the Father could not save Jesus from this hour because He was determined to go through this for you and me. You've got to go through this, Jesus. And it was this feeling of being abandoned that made Jesus sweat blood. He knew that in this moment, I'm on my own. I'm on my own. We have no idea what it means to be abandoned. With all due respect to you, if you had been abandoned as a child or whatever it may be, we have no idea. I, I love being with my wife. Times when we're separate. I just don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy not having my children around. But I'm happy knowing that, that that's part of God's plan for their lives. I can't hold on to them. But I have no idea what it means to be abandoned. In this sense, I don't know what I would have done if Jesus, sweating bloody, was saying, this is serious stuff. Jesus knew all about being forsaken. Because he spoke about it. He said, people will forsake me. They did that. They walked with him and then they just forsook him and, and walked away. The world already had forsaken Jesus. He knew this. But there was one thing that he was about to experience. The greatest loneliness that anyone could ever experience. The pain of being abandoned by God to endure what is your portion. And this is what he said. In that moment, Matthew chapter 27, this is why the cross had to happen. This is why there's no other way. Matthew 27, Jesus is, is on the cross, and you know these words. It says in verse 45, he, earlier he had said, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will will be done. We know that he said that in Matthew 26. But here in Matthew 27, he says, Now from the sixth hour, in verse 45, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. And what did he say by that? He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 50, we see that it says with a loud voice and he healed it up his spirit. 
This is what our sin did to him. Brought him to a place of complete abandonment. Being on his own. This is what he dreaded. He said, my soul is indeed very sorrowful. I know what awaits me. I know that the, the wrath of God, the wrath of God against sin, is going to cause me to be in my own. I'm going, to, I'm going to be abandoned. I know that there's hope. But just even that one thought, imagine this. Jesus is an incredible omniscience. He knows everything. He knew that he was going to rise again three days later. He knew this. So what's the big deal, Jesus? Why are you worried about this moment? It's because this moment is so incredibly big. To be abandoned by God is so incredibly big that Jesus said, if I don't have to drink this cup, please let it pass me. But not my will be done, your will be done. That's why the cross was necessary. Because the Father said, somebody's got to take, has to take the burden of sin upon their shoulder, his shoulder. And Jesus said, I'm prepared to do that. We need to live within the beauty of his acceptance, but we also need to live at the same time, be aware that our sins greatly harms relationship with the Father. Sometimes maybe it is that we feel so lonely and alone. Maybe the one thing that we've got to just inspect and say, God, is there stuff in my life that maybe has drawn me away from you because you don't allow sin close to you? He says, come, my son. Even if you have sinned, come, like the prodigal son did, and he rushed to the father because the father says, come. That's the Lord's heart for us because one son paid the price for us all. We need to make sure that we don't become desensitized to sin. It is very destructive, and it's the very thing that Jesus carried to the cross that made him be extremely troubled. Jesus was troubled by sin. I wonder how much we are troubled by it today. Have we become so used to it? Just all over. And in our own lives, we're like, it's not really going against God. It's just going the other way. That's going against God, my friend. It's going against God. It was so necessary that Jesus did what he did because we could not do anything about our own sin. Someone had to step in, and I'll close with this. Someone had to step in on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read that to you as we close. Paul says the following. I want, to li- I want you to listen to it and read it with me as your Bibles are open. I want us to receive this and let it sink into our hearts. He says, for our sake, for our sake, He, God, made Him, Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He made Him who knew no sin, so that you and I can be accepted by the Father and become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus.
So this morning, I want to just emphasize the fact there was no other way possible for you and me to become the righteousness of God. Somebody had to go through extreme turmoil. And we will never be able to explain, as I said, describe the physical brutality that Jesus went through for you and me. But the thing that we will probably never ever fully understand either is that moment of extreme agony and sorrow you went through because he carried our sin on his shoulder and he knew that he was going to be on his own. The father would say, my son, you've got to carry this. You've got to carry this on your own. No angel is going to rescue you. You're not allowed to rescue yourself. He could have easily done that. But he chose not to. So that you and I will never ever again experience any form of rejection of abandonment because the Father had welcomed us. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, we are so grateful this morning to have a Lord and a God like you who keeps speaking to us and reminding us through Christ that which you require of us. This morning we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. Let your will be done in us and through us as it is done in heaven. We thank you, Father, for the gift of salvation. We thank you for redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus taking away our sins and giving us his righteousness. And therefore this morning we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are holy. We are your saints. We are your children. Continue teaching us and ordering our steps by your Holy Spirit, whom we have received and indwells us eternally. Our God and our Father, throughout this week, and throughout the journey of our life, we desire only one thing, that your name be glorified in our lives. That, Father, we would walk worthy of the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for reminding us and for causing us to understand it was because of our sin that he hung on the cross. We thank you, we honor you, we lift your name, we magnify your name. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen.